Isn't that fun? This is part of what it means to be a church, that we get to partner together, we get to walk together. We, uh, we are wrapping up a series that we're calling Why God? And we've been exploring really things that have a way of creeping into our lives and kind of become a blockade. They, they keep us from being able to push forward and move to that next stage of our faith, wherever God may be calling us, wherever may, God may be leading us, that sometimes there are certain things in our life that have a way of kind of getting in the way, and we just kind of stop on that journey. Well, God doesn't want us to, to stop on that journey, and so we've been walking through what are some of those things and, and exploring how do we make sense of that, where do we see God's hand in that. Today, specifically, we set aside a time just to answer your questions, and so over the last several weeks, we've had questions that have been submitted. Um, we've had some great questions, and, and in that, even as I was preparing for our conversation today, I was originally kind of planned to just kind of set, okay, here's the question, let's talk about it, here's the question, let's talk about it. But as I was beginning to do that and preparing, I really saw that there was a pattern to all the questions that came in. And so I'm going to answer it a little differently. We're going to go to the book of Romans, I'm going to walk through it. But the biggest question that really, when you look at the pattern that I think all of us wrestle with at some layer of our lives, is how do I discern the will of God? How do I know that God is in this, that God is leading me to do this, and it's not necessarily the bad pizza that I had last night, right? We, we all have these moments of trying to discern who is God, what is he doing, how do I know this is what I'm supposed to do versus plan A, plan B? And so we, we wrestle through those things. And so today we're going to take a dive into the book of Romans. And as we do so, it's going to help us begin to understand a little bit how do we look at this. And the reality is this is a problem we all wrestle with. Uh, I, I came to Christ at a very young age, at about seven years of age. I've walked with Jesus a long time. And at, even at this point in my life, there are moments I still find myself going, God, is, is this you? Are, are you in this? Or is this something else? And so navigating life and knowing what is the right path, those are difficult things. And so I want us to break it down a little bit in, in doing so, let's take a look at the book of Romans. So we're going to begin reading in Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. You can open up your digital device as well. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Um, and we're going to, again, we're going to skip a little bit through the book of Romans, but we're going to begin today in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. So go ahead and follow along with me here. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what we can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Kind of get this picture here, light to dark. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, 
to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. Let's stop there. There are a couple things that I want to pull to our attention here. First of all, the way that Paul writes this, he talks about what we call in the theological understanding two different ways in which God has revealed himself to humanity. One is through what we call general revelation. The second is what we call special revelation. General revelation is this idea that as you look at the world around us, nights that you're sitting around a campfire and you look up into the stars and you see just stars and the way that they've been placed and the intricacies of the world and the systems, the seasons, well, all the different things that you look at in creation, God has revealed himself to that. He's saying that you can't just look into the world and see all of this and think, honestly, it's random, that there has to be some order to the way that this was created, that there is a creator. And so man is not without excuse. We, we don't have that privilege to make an excuse saying, well, I didn't know. The second thing is he talks about is what we see as special revelation, that God has actually revealed himself to humanity in two special ways above and beyond just general revelation. One is through his word, what we call look at the scriptures, and the second is through the person of Jesus Christ, who was a very real person, walked the face of the earth, died a horrific death through crucifixion. So what Paul is helping us understand, first of all, is that there's two ways in which God has revealed himself. One is through general revelation. The second is through special revelation. So what Paul is helping us understand right off the bat is this. God isn't hiding. Sometimes when we look at the world, when we look at trying to discern which path, this path versus this path, we, we wrestle with, well, God, are you there? Are you in the midst of this? And sometimes, even if we've walked with Jesus for a long time, it can feel as though God's not there. Or does he care? What Paul's helping us understand, and I want you to grab a hold of right off the bat, God isn't hiding. He's not Part of the challenge and part of the problem that we see here is that after the fall, so when Adam and Eve made a conscious decision to disobey God's commands and they chose to eat from the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, in that moment, our affections became misplaced. And so what Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 1 is that in our lives, We've made a conscious decision. Our natural self is to allow our affections and our appetites to lead the direction for which we choose to move and choose to go. And so when we choose our own way, understanding and discerning God's will becomes very difficult because our, our own self is getting in the way. Now, the interesting thing is he talks about, he talks about in this process Verse 21 through 22, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Somewhere along the journey, what Paul is helping us understand, somewhere along the journey, we had a choice. 
and all, all humanity is under this choice where we made a great exchange, where we exchange God and the glory of God, the opportunity to know God for the reality of wanting to call our own shots. In essence, you and I, we have this innate desire deep down inside to define what reality is, to define what we think are things of value. We, we want to sit in the chair that allows us to call the shots and play God. And Paul here is describing this great exchange that seems to take place, exchanging the light, the glory of God, for things of the dark. And, and so without God being truly at the center of our lives, the exchange that we make, we think it's a good exchange. We think we're being smart. But what Paul is helping us understand, he's going, that exchange is, is foolish in nature. Though it may f- seem good, it may seem full of wisdom, it's stupid. It's foolish. And he says, as a result... People exchange the truth about God for a lie. And then he goes into this perspective. He says, they serve the creature rather than the creator. I think sometimes we have a hard understanding of how this plays out even in our own lives or in our world that we call home today. It's not like we're driving down 192 on a regular basis and we see people pulled over worshiping the ground or worshiping you know, a dead skunk or whatever it is. But this is a picture that I took in 2020. I traveled to the nation of Benin. And Benin is kind of West Africa. Benin and Togo, small little slivers of a country, were actually the birthplace of voodoo. While I was there in Benin, um, I had a little bit of extra time. I was meeting with some pastors, and some of them said, hey, I want to take you over here. So we walked down the street to this location, and this location is specifically the Python Temple. In the Python Temple, they had hundreds of snakes. I don't know, even probably thousands of snakes. Very interesting stories, but this one caught my attention. This woman was British, Western, traveled to Benin specifically to come to this location. And you can see in this moment, I don't know if you can see it where you're at, but she's holding a python in her hands. And in essence, prayerfully focused her attention in an almost worshipful, trance-like state. It may not be as simple as a crawly thing like a snake. But Paul is wanting us to understand that we have a natural tendency to do things that are not godly, that are not not holy, that we are willing to exchange the glory and the goodness of God for things that we want to define as being good. And so one of the things that we have to begin to understand when it comes to our lives and discerning God's will, is God in this? Is this something that God is leading me towards? Is the more that I want to be at the center of attention, the center of my value system, the more difficult is going to be and practically impossible to understand and discern the will of God in our lives. Because of this, God has... To Because of God's love and true to his nature, 
he can't just turn a blind eye to sin. So when you go back to verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God has to deal with the rebellion that exists. Why is God's wrath a thing? Because God's love demands it. God's love, if he truly is love, things that are unloving, things that are unholy have to be dealt with. Like, to be loving also means that you uphold justice. And so to to love us and to love us right where we're at, I have to also hold perfectly in balance justice. That things have to be held accountable. Things have to be dealt with. And so because of God's nature being loving, he also is full of justness. His wrath will be poured out against the rebellion that exists. For God not to bring justice would mean that God is not loving. But here's the interesting thing. God also doesn't force himself upon us. As Paul talks about here, that he gives them over to the desires of their heart. He gives them over to the lusts of their hearts. What Paul is helping us understand is that God has revealed more than enough for us to understand who he is and that he's at work both through general revelation and through special revelation. But when we make a conscious decision in our lives to go the other way, to do life the way we want to do it, God says, okay. I'm not going to force myself upon you. I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to let you go the direction that you want to go. And if you were to continue reading the chapter, if you go on through verse 26 and you kind of keep going, Paul makes this whole list of what kind of things we fall trapped to. When we make a decision just to go our own direction, go our own way, to find our own values outside of who God is and God's best for our lives, he says all these different things become a reality. We we can go all kinds of crazy places. This helps us understand, first and foremost, why at certain times of our lives it's difficult for us to understand God's will. It's hard for us to find where are you working and what are you doing. Because if our own hearts aren't searching for him, aren't seeking him, or aren't seeking his best for our lives, the result is we're walking through life blind and alone. Now, don't fall for the lie that it's better to exchange the glory and the goodness of God for counterfeit things just so you and I can have control. The second thing I want us to note here is that we're in a real, real battle. If you continue to read through the thoughts, when you get to Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul kind of goes into depth in helping us understand a battle that is a very real battle that is going on and waging on around us and in our lives. To kind of give us a summary of this battle, Romans chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Romans chapter 7. 
I'm going to start reading in verse 15. It's going to come up here on the screen as well. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is, it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to actually carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's a lot of this I do, I don't. It's easy to get confused in those, those five verses. What Paul's helping us understand is that there is this tendency, this natural self deep down inside of us that I want to do this, even if it's not good, even if it's not godly, even if it's not holy, but it feels good. So I want to do that. He goes, what is that in me? Why does that happen? Even though I know Jesus, I experienced his love, I've experienced his grace, there's still this thing in me that wants to do what I want to do. And for some reason, I don't have the capacity to carry it out. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know I should do. You ever wrestle with that? I know I have. And so Paul is helping us understand, like, this is the battle. There's this battle between what Scripture calls your flesh or your natural self and the things of God and his spirit working in us. So when we say yes to following Jesus, his spirit comes to reside in us, begins to guide us and empower us towards what we call godly living. We'll explain that here in just a moment. And so now you have this dichotomy. This almost yin versus yang. This I, I have this natural self that this is what I want to do, but God is working in me. He wants to pull me in this direction. Here's what we need to understand. God loves you enough to not allow you to just live with what is natural. The natural self leads to the things that we saw in verse chapter 1, verse 26, that continues to go. When we just go, I want to live for what feels good, I want, to, I want to do what feels right, that's leaning into our natural self, and God's like, fine. See how that works for you. We get to 7, verse 8, or chapter 8, we begin to understand this is why I'm having those desires. This is why that wrestle is very real. There's two terms that I want to try to help us understand and make sense a little bit more of this that will help us break down and get to the other side of why this matters, why Jesus matters in our lives. And it begins to help us unlock a little bit more understanding. How do I actually know his will? How can I know what he's doing and be a part of that? The first term is what we call regeneration. Regeneration. Um, You can read through Ephesians chapter 2 this week to get a a better understanding and explanation of what regeneration is. But what regeneration is was that when I choose to say yes to Jesus, when I want to place my faith in him, I'm beginning to follow him, I want him to be the leader of my life, there is a awakening that takes place in my life. There is a awakening to my spiritual heart, my soul. This is the idea that I am now made into a new creation. You've heard Christians describe themselves, even if you've not been in the church very long, you've heard Christians talk about being born again. This is the idea, this regeneration. There's a spiritual awakening that takes place. So that's one thing that begins to take place in our lives. The second thing is what we call sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy word that talks about being made holy. 
It's the ongoing work of kind of recalibrating our affections, recalibrating our heart to actually cherish the things that God's cherished, to begin to value the things that God values. See, what begins to take place is when, when sin came into the world and came into to the, you know, our existence, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and kind of go their own way, our affections moved away from God. Our affection is now self-centered. It's more about what I want, what I need, what feels good. And, and as a result, we can go all kinds of places following that kind of desire. When we recognize our need for help, we recognize our need for Jesus in our lives. We say yes to him. He begins to come in. He awakens us, and he begins to do a work in us and through us to make us more like him. For example, in Romans chapter 12, it says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. What is sanctification? If I try to put it in plain terms, it's learning to say no to sin. Sanctification is the thing that begins to move in our lives that teaches us to say yes to holiness. Yes to obedience to Jesus. Yes to loving God and loving the things that God loves. Sanctification is all about kind of retraining our affections. Retraining deep down inside the things that I choose to actually delight in. Sanctification is the undoing of all those torturous, deadly appetites that exist, the things that were forbidden all the way back to Adam and Eve that we desire. What it is, is it's undoing those things in our lives, the control that those things have in our lives. The first step of knowing God's will begins at the moment of repentance. If we never actually take time to repent to confess, we will never really truly understand and be able to discern God's will for our lives. But here's what I want you to know. God's will is knowable. It's knowable. You continue just reading what we just read in Romans chapter 12 to go to verse 2. He says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This passage here gives us an important sequence. The child of God refuses to be conformed to the world and instead allows himself to be transformed by the Spirit. As his mind is renewed according to the things of God, then he can actually know God's perfect will. As we seek God's will, we should, we should make sure what we are considering and not something that the Bible actually forbids. For example, that the Bible forbids stealing. It's very clearly spoken about this issue. We know it's not God's will to be bank robbers. So it's like there are certain things in life I don't need to pray about that. Because God's made it very clear in the Bible, 
don't go around robbing banks. So I don't need to slow down on anything. Well, let me pray about that. Also, we need to make sure we're considering, well, will X, Y, Z, if I do this, is that honoring to God? Like, does that thing actually glorify God? Will others come closer to him? If not, it's not part of God's will. Is this thing, this X, Y, Z, is that thing going to help me grow closer to God? Is it going to help others grow closer to God? If not, it's probably not part of God's will. See, knowing God's will sometimes is difficult because it requires patience. And at the same time, I don't know about you, but I know this is for me, I like to have the, the specifics. Like, God, I, I know you seem to be doing this, but can you just tell me when, how, how much? You know, okay, you, you want me to buy that homeless man a lunch, but are we talking Ruth Christ or Subway? You know, it's like, God, I, I want specifics. I want to know what is expected of me. We, we all wrestle this when it comes to where are we going to work? Where are we going to live? Whom are we going to marry? What car am I going to buy? I mean, the list can go on and on and on. But here's what I've come to realize. God allows us to make choices. This is what it means to be a person that walks by faith. This is what it looks like. And if we're to yield to him, sometimes he actually has a way of preventing us from making the bad choice. Go to Acts chapter 16. You see a prime example where Paul felt like, hey, I'm going to go over here. This, this group of people, they need to hear about Jesus. It was a God-honoring thing. It was a holy thing. I, I'm going to go do this. God wasn't in it. And God says, nope, you're not going there. I'm actually going to take you here. God had a reason for what he did, and he shifted that moment even in Paul's life. Sometimes, even when we're yield to him, we're wanting to walk, submitting to him. There are things that look good. They are God-honoring that sometimes, even then, God shuts the door and says, Nope, I got a different plan. I've prepared you for something bigger. I need you to trust me. Will you walk this way? And many times I've realized it doesn't always make sense. Why? When? How? How much? But I have learned that being in God's will versus my will is always better. Is always the better place to be. The better that you and I can get to know Jesus, the more that we will understand his heart and his values. There are certain things that as a parent you want your kids to understand. Just as these parents stood up here on the stage just a little bit ago and they dedicated themselves, to, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my home a safe place to come to know who Jesus is. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to guide them. We're going to have conversations. We're going to read the Bible together. I, I want my kids the best ability they possibly can to come to know Jesus at a young age. And what pain and suffering that can help them through and save them from great things. There are practical things, too, that we as parents 
We want our kids to just begin to do. We want to instruct them, right? Like little things that I want my kids to know at a young age that when you're playing basketball in the driveway and the basketball rolls into the street, don't run into the street without stopping and looking first, right? Because that just makes sense. The, the way that I engage my own kids and the way that I walk with them through life, I want it to become so natural that when life is happening around them, that they're willing to stop, hit the brakes, look both ways and go, you know what, I probably shouldn't do that because you know what, my dad would be upset with me or my mom would be upset with me. The closer we are in proximity, the the more that they will understand my desires, what I want for their life, how I want them to win, that I'm not trying to take the fun out of their lives. I'm trying to keep them safe. I want them to understand how life can be lived. Guess what? God loves us with even a greater love than that. And the more that you and I can lean in and try to understand his heart and begin to value the things that he values, his will will become known easier and more understandable on a day-to-day basis. There'll be moments in our life where God will be like, hey, I told you don't cross the street. You better stop. You didn't look both ways. And we want to be so in tune with him that we stop on the edge of the street and we go, "Uh, yep, he would be upset. Let me slow down. Let me look both ways. Let me do this the way that he instructed me to do it. Friends, when you do things God's way, it really protects you. It protects your heart. It protects you physically. It protects you emotionally. It protects you spiritually. It's always the best place to be. So I would encourage you, when it comes to knowing God's will, slow down, pray about it. Second thing, Look for open or closed doors. Sometimes God just shuts a door, and you may not understand why he shuts it. Sometimes he opens a door. The third thing, seek wise counsel. Seek godly counsel around you. I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today in my own life and my own faith if it wasn't for other people in my life speaking truth, guiding. Sometimes I didn't want to hear it, but it's exactly what I needed to hear. The fourth thing is, you got to be willing to step out in faith from time to time. Sometimes God just says, hey, either option's fine. Just take a step. Walk by faith. Here's the great news. God loved us enough he didn't leave us alone. He's not hiding. He's there. He cares. And he's for you. Why? Because his grace is amazing. It's sufficient. It's more than enough. And we as a church, we want to be there with you. You're not alone. If there are certain things that you're wrestling through and you're trying to understand, let us walk with you. Let us be an encouragement. Let us do life together. Let me take a moment. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you very much. And we need you. And so just as we take a look at your scripture and try to understand, Lord, I I pray that we would be people that cherish you more than anything else. That, Lord, our own feelings, our own emotions, our own desires wouldn't get in the way of what you are trying to do in the moment. Even though we have a propensity of going that direction, redirect our hearts to be more in tune with yours, I pray in your name. Amen. Go ahead and stand and let's sing together.